Oh, Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. For it is of your mercy that we are not consumed. Your compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for giving us life today. And thank you, Lord, that your mercy is new today and that we can be recipients of a fresh supply of mercy. And, Lord, we open our hearts now to receive it. And we ask, dear Lord, that as we open your word, that you'd give to us a fresh revelation of Jesus. Help us to see you, dear Lord, more clearly than ever before. And by beholding, may we become changed into that same image. We pray that you would instruct us and inspire us, that you would inform us and transform us, that you'd captivate our minds, convict our hearts, and convert our souls. Lord, I'm not worthy to stand before your children this morning. And so I just pray, Lord, that you'd cover me with the righteousness of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, and that you'd fill me with the spirit of Jesus, that all in this room today would experience a blessing and that we would hear your voice speaking to our hearts. This is our prayer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I invite you to take your Bible and let's turn to the last book in the New Testament, the book of Revelation, shall we? Revelation, we're going to the 12th chapter as we study from the weed of death to the word of life. Revelation chapter 12 is a chapter that's very important, especially for the last days. It describes the great controversy between good and evil from its origin in heaven all the way to its consummation at the end. And in this chapter, the Bible describes this war that we are all in the midst of. And it tells us how we can gain victory in this battle. Revelation chapter 12, beginning with verse 11. If you're there, would you please say amen. Revelation 12 verse 11, the Bible says, And they, talking about God's people, overcame him, talking about Satan, and they overcame him by the first and foremost, what does it say? The blood of the Lamb. Friends, I'm so grateful that the blood of Jesus not only pardons our past, but it empowers our present. It not only forgives us, but it empowers us to gain victory over the attacks and temptations of Satan. Just like the song says, would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood of the Lamb. Would you do service for Jesus, your King? There's wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Friends, we have been called to victory, not failure. And the victory is found not in us, but what in Jesus wants to put in us. And that is his precious blood. So the Bible tells us that we can gain victory over Satan first and foremost by the blood of the Lamb. But then it says, and by the word of their what? Their testimony. And that they love not their lives unto the death. And so we see that the way in which we gain victory over Satan in this great controversy between good and evil is by the blood of Jesus, but also by the word of our testimony. You see, friends, when we share the testimony that God has given to us, what the Lord has done in our lives, expression deepens impression. When we go out in service and witness to others and sharing what God has done for us, it gives us even more power and confidence 
that if God could do for that, that for me in the past, surely he can do it for me in the present, and surely he can keep me in the future. And that's one of the reasons why it's so important for us to share our testimonies. Not only to be a blessing to others, but for our own soul's sake, that we can remember what the Lord has done for us. Expression deepens impression. Not only on the hearers, but also on the speaker himself. And if that makes sense, would you please say amen. So God's people are going to win the victory by the blood of Jesus and by the word of their testimony. But whose testimony is it really that they're sharing? Let's jump down to verse 17 because it tells us whose testimony it is. Revelation 12, 17. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of who? The testimony of Jesus Christ. So friends, the testimony that God's people overcome with is not so much their testimony, but really it's the testimony of Jesus Christ. Yes, it may be their experience, but it's Christ's testimony. In other words, our history is His story of power and grace and love. And so if our history is His story, then He is the one that gets all the honor, the glory, and the praise for what He has done. Can you say amen? And so with that in mind this morning, I would like to simply share with you the, His story of my history, what the Lord has done for me. And I share this with a great desire for you to be inspired to know that no matter how dark and broken your past may be, we serve a God of restoration. And no matter how messed up we are, if we put our lives in the hands of God, God can use us for his power and his glory. You see, friends, we cannot change our past. What's done is done. But the good news is we can give our past to Jesus and he can make us new. Amen. I want you to notice with me in Joel chapter 2, verse 25, one of my favorite promises in the Bible. Joel chapter 2, verse 25, God promises us, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. In an agricultural society, one of the most devastating things that can happen to a farmer is to be invaded by a swarm of locusts. For years of hard work and labor could be consumed in just a few moments by a swarm of locusts. And this passage describes the life that we have lived without God. To be invaded by a swarm of locusts, that's a fit description of what sin does for us. Sin consumes our time, consumes our life, consumes our youth and our energies. But God says that though time has been wasted by our foolish choices, that if we give our past to Jesus, he can restore the years that the locusts have eaten. And I'm here to tell you that I've experienced this firsthand in my life. For the story of my experience is a story of years that have been consumed by the locusts of sin, but at the same time restored by the love of Jesus Christ. From the weed of death to the word of life. Allow me to share with you the story. But first, let's get the backdrop. As we go now to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37. Let's turn to the book of Ezekiel, shall we? In Ezekiel, chapter 37, I find a story that I resonate with very intimately. For this chapter in the Bible describes my experience. And I 
I'm confident that many of you would be able to relate. So we're going to Ezekiel. What chapter did I say? Ezekiel chapter 37. It's the story of the valley of dry bones. Ezekiel 37 verse 1. If you're there, would you please say amen? The Bible says, And the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he carried me out in the spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones. And he caused me to pass by them round about, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were what? Very dry. Here the Lord takes the prophet Ezekiel and reveals to him a very discouraging sight. The Lord takes Ezekiel not upon the mountaintop, but the valley, the lowest part. And as he looks in this valley, it's the valley of the shadow of death. He is surrounded by death, destruction, and decay. For all he sees are dry bones everywhere, a discouraging sight. A valley of dry bones. I can relate. Here's how my story begins. From the moment of conception, he was not wanted. Conceived out of wedlock by two young people who were seeking pleasure outside of the joy that only God could give. His soon-to-be mother was embarrassed and ashamed of him, the unborn child in her womb. Because she was young. She was not married, and yet she was pregnant. And her parents looked down upon her with shame and rejection for getting pregnant without being married. And they told her that she was an embarrassment to the family. And afraid of rejection, feeling all alone, and not wanting to face the responsibility of parenthood, this young mother-to-be mother -to was tempted to have an abortion, even tempted to commit suicide, and even... This unborn child's earthly father wasn't interested in keeping him. You see, friends, the devil tried his best to destroy this unborn child in the womb before he was brought into the world, but God protected this child, and despite the suggestions of the devil, God prevailed, and my mother decided to keep me. And as a result, I was born on June 19, 1983. Here's a picture. Ain't I a cute baby? And friends, I was born and raised in Hawaii. And even though I was born in paradise, it wasn't always a beautiful sight. Because like Ezekiel, in coming to this world, it was like I was surrounded in a valley of dry bones. Now what do these dry bones represent? Proverbs 17:22 tells us that a merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. In the Bible, dry bones represent brokenness of spirit. And that is a fit description of, of, of the, the family I was born into. As I mentioned before, my mom and dad, when I was conceived, they were not married. And yes, they were a very loving family. I mean, I knew that my mom and my dad loved me. And when I showed up, they, 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 did, they did their best for me. Like my grandparents, my aunties and uncles, they all loved me and cared for me. And they taught me good values. They taught me that I should be good in school and be honest. They did their best with what they knew. My dad is a dirt bike racer. 
Here's a picture of my dad when he was younger. He loved riding bikes, dirt bikes. And this was his favorite thing to do. And so when I was born, he got me into it. At a very young age, when I was three years old, I started riding bikes. And I got very good at it. I entered into the races and I would win first place. I have hundreds of trophies. This is me flying in the sky, just learning how to ride dirt bikes as my dad taught me. And he taught me how to win this kind of race, but he never taught me how to win the race of salvation. My dad is not a Christian. My mom wasn't a Christian. They were not married when I was born. And so growing up, I grew up in a broken home, dysfunctional family. Sometimes I would live with dad, and other times I would live with mom, back and forth. And here's a picture of my parents. They look happy, but for most of my life, there was a lot of bitterness and anger and even hatred between them. And as the only child, I was in the midst of this. Can you relate with that today? I'm not sure who you are, but perhaps you grew up in a broken home. Maybe you don't even know who your parents are. Maybe right now your parents are going through a devastating divorce, and all around it seems like it's nothing but a valley of dry bones. It seems like there is no hope in sight. Well, by the time this message is finished, you will see, friends, that no matter how broken the bones are, God can restore them. By his power. There's a lot of fighting and bitterness. And in the midst of dysfunction, there I was. Without any direction really in life. You know the solution to broken bones? The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 16 verse 24. Write it down. Proverbs 16 verse 24. The Bible says that pleasant words are as a honeycomb. Sweet to the soul and health to the bones. If you want health in the bones of your, of your marriage, of your family, of your life, it is found in the pleasant words of Jesus Christ. Amen? For his word says, let there be light, and there was light. The Bible, friends, the promises of God have self-fulfilling power. But growing up, I had no idea what the Bible taught. My parents were not religious people, and so they did the best they knew, but there's only so much a person can give. If they don't know Jesus, they couldn't give to me that which they did not have themselves. So growing up, I had no idea what was God or who was God, totally ignorant of the things of God. And because I did not have a solid spiritual foundation, by the time I was in fifth grade, very young, about 10 years old, I was a compulsive thief and liar. This was me. Here's a picture. When I was in fifth grade, don't I look innocent? But the hat says it all, right? <laughs> and you realize that young man in that picture, fifth grade, was a compulsive thief. I would break into people's houses. I would even steal marijuana plants from the neighbors. I began smoking when I was in fifth grade, hanging around with the wrong crowd. The first time I was arrested, fifth grade, handcuffed, read my rights, thrown in jail, and my mom and had to come pick me up. I was a troubled kid heading down the wrong road, the road of crime and corruption. And when I got into high school, things only got worse. I got started getting involved in other drugs. I was addicted to marijuana. I went to high school only to get high. That's why they call it high school. Isn't that right? 
I would, went, I would go to school, but I would never go to class. I was addicted to girls and addicted to hanging around with the, my friends and partying and drugs. And I was looking for happiness and all the things that the world offers. And I was searching for something, searching for something to quench the dry bones of my life. And at this time in high school, I moved in with my mom. And as a single parent, she tried her best. But she didn't know how involved I was in drugs. And I remember she would work late into the night as a nurse. And while she's working out, out sneaking out of the house around the town doing crazy things. And then she would come home the next morning and sleep half the day. And while she is sleeping in one room, I'm in the next room bringing my friends over. And I would lock the door and put the towel on the bottom of the door and light up the incense. And would have a smoking session right next door to the room that my mom was sleeping. And she didn't realize what her only son was doing. I took her for granted. I caused her so much pain. And when my mom looked at me, she too saw nothing but a dry bone, a valley of dry bones. And friends, as Ezekiel looks upon this valley, then God asks a question to Ezekiel in the next verse. Let's read verse 3. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? Here God is asking a question, not because he doesn't know the answer, does God know the answer to the question, yes or no? You see, whenever God asks a question in the Bible, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. He does, but he's wanting us to think about the answer. He is testing the faith of the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel, can these bones live? And friends, I can imagine that as Ezekiel looked upon the valley of dry bones, the, the bones were already bleached by the powerful rays of the sun. The Bible emphasizes that they were very dry. And I can imagine that Ezekiel, all he saw was problems. But when God looked at the valley of dry bones, instead of seeing problems, God saw potential. And I can imagine in the same way when my mom looked at me, she saw a problem child. But when the Lord looked at me, he saw some potential. I'm grateful that God looks at us not so much for who we are, but for what we can become by his power and grace. Amen. And so can these bones live, Ezekiel? Notice Ezekiel responded and said, O Lord God, thou knowest. Friends, I want you to notice that powerful, that answer is powerful. Ezekiel was not presumptuous in saying yes, nor was he doubtful in saying no. He simply put the situation in God's hands. He simply said, Lord, you know. What Ezekiel is saying is, Lord, I don't know. It, to me, it seems like there is no hope. It seems like this situation is too hard to solve. Lord, I don't know. I don't know what to do, how to think, or how to feel. I don't know, but you know. What Ezekiel was doing is what we ought to do when our circumstances appear hopeless and helpless. Just put the matter into the hands of God. Reminds me of what Job said. Job chapter 23. Job was in a difficult situation as well. And Job did not know how to feel or what to think or where to go. But notice what Job said in, verse 20, in chapter 23, verses 8 through 11. Job 23, verse 8 through 11. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, and I cannot perceive him. On the left hand where he doth work, and I cannot behold him. He hides himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. But he, what? He knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. 
you may not know what to do. You're a young person, you may not know what to study, what career to pursue. You're a young person, you don't know whom God is wanting you to get married to. You don't know what to do in your life. Or maybe you're a parent and you have a problem child and you have seemed like you have done everything and you don't know what to do. You're at your wit's end and you don't know what in that situation put the valley of dry bones in the hands of one that does know, in the hands of the all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God. Amen. And I want you to notice what happens when we trust God in the midst of the valley of dry bones. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 8. Write it down. Proverbs 3, verse 5 through 8. Let's read this together, shall we? The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. And it shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy. What brings health and navel to the bones? It's when we trust God. We're not leaning on our own understanding. We're not saying yes or no, but we're saying, Lord, thou knowest. You know the situation. Today, friends, your situation may be like that valley. You may not know what to do, but rest in the calm assurance that while you may not know, there's a God in heaven that knows. And when we put our lives in his hands, he will tell us exactly what he's calling us to do. You may be struggling with your finances. Your marriage may be, may, may be attacked right now. Maybe you have cancer or diabetes or some type of physical illness. Maybe you're unemployed and you don't have a job. Maybe you're struggling with your grades in school or what career to pursue. Maybe your friends have turned their back on you and they're talking about you. Maybe your spouse has left you for somebody else and your parents are going through a divorce. You don't know what to do, but God knows. And I just want to encourage you this morning, keep trusting, keep praying, keep pushing forward. When the Lord Jesus comes, the Bible says, Then shall we know, even as also we are known by God. Amen. And so I was about 14 years old, a druggie, burning up my brain cells and chasing the world. When my mom looked at me, she saw a dry bone. She saw problems. When God looked at me, he saw potential. And the Lord was about to make his mood in my life. Well, what happened? Let's read it. Here's what happened. Verses 4 through 8. Ezekiel 37. Notice what happens next. Verse 4. Again, he said unto me, prophesy upon these bones and say to them, all ye dry bones, hear the what? The word of the Lord. Thus said the Lord God unto these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and Bring up flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. Verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and behold, a shaking. And the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them and the skin covered them. But there was no what? No breath. And so here's what happened. I was 14 years old. My mother and I were sitting on the couch watching television when all of a sudden we saw an advertisement on TV, an advertisement for a Bible prophecy seminar. Have you ever heard of one of those before? It was held about an hour away from my house. My mom was interested 
And she looked at me. She said, do you want to go to that? I said, no, not interested. I wasn't interested in that. 14 years old. But even though I wasn't interested, my mom brought me to those meetings. She forced me to go to the meetings. Young people, if your parents force you to go to church, you ought to praise the Lord. <laughs> because that's one of the best things your parents can do. Bring you to the feet of Jesus. Because during those meetings, I heard the words of truth for the very first time. And as I did, just like Ezekiel began to preach the word of God to the bones, as I began to hear the word of God pro pro proclaim, the bones started coming together, bone to his bone. I started coming alive spiritually. I understood the truth about the seven-day Sabbath. I learned the truth about the, the, the health principles and what happens when a person dies. I heard the glorious truth that Jesus is coming back soon. And as I heard these messages night after night, the truth made sense in my mind. The bones were coming together, bone to his bone. And at the end of those meetings, to make a long story short, my mother and I were baptized. But don't say amen too quickly. Because when I was baptized that first time, I went into the water a dry devil, and I came up out of the water a wet devil. <laughs> there was no transformation in my life. When I was baptized that first time, I had received information, but not heart transformation. I accepted the truth intellectually, and I thought to myself that as long as I believe what day of the Sabbath is, as long as I understand that Jesus is coming that somehow by my intellectual knowledge, I'm going to be saved. I did not understand what true belief was. My heart was not changed. I had received the knowledge of truth, but not the person of truth. And to be honest, I got baptized out of a selfish motivation. I was baptized because I didn't want to go to hell and because I wanted to go to heaven. Friends, how many want to go to heaven? How many of you don't want to go to hell? Well, friends... If you're serving God only because you're afraid of hell and because you want to go to heaven, eventually you're going to turn your back on the Lord. Because the fear of hell and the reward of heaven is not a strong enough motivator to keep us faithful to God. The only thing in the universe that's strong enough to keep us faithful to the Lord is the power of the love of Christ. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5:14, for the love of Christ compels us. It captivates us. It constrains us. Friends, we need to get to the point that we are serving God and obeying God, not because we are afraid, but because we love the Lord. Do you love Jesus? If so, let me hear you say amen if you love the Lord. And why do you love Jesus? The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. Our love to God is simply a response to his love for us. The Bible tells us that perfect love cast out fear. I was baptized that first time because I was afraid to go to hell. But my heart was not changed. And so even though I was baptized and we started going to church every single Sabbath, there was an outward change, yes, just like what happened in Ezekiel 37. The bones came together and the flesh started covering them. There was an outward change in my experience. I took off my jewelry. I stopped eating unclean animals. I went to church every single Sabbath. I even uh, 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 participated in Sabbath school and even let out in song service. But for the next two years, 
There is a form of godliness, but no power. Just like in verse 8, the Bible says that the sinews and the flesh came upon them, the skin covered them above, but there was no what? There was no breath. In the story of Ezekiel, there was a form of life, but there was no breath in the body. There was no life. And so too, I was a Christian only once a week when I went to church. That was me. If you notice the picture, I was still smoking weed. And I was even eager to go to my public school and share the truth with my friends. And I would be confident that I knew what day was the correct day of worship. And I would share the truth and I would try to witness to my friends. And they would look at me and say, wow, you're, you're going to church now and you're spiritual? Well, why are you still smoking weed? They would ask. And I would have a Bible answer for that. I would tell them, Genesis chapter 1 says that God has given to man every herb yielding seed. <laughs> I would say to them, you know, I, I don't do the chemical stuff, just the natural stuff. I mean, God made it, and, and when I smoke weed, it helps me think deep thoughts. It helps me to spiritualize and philosophize, and when I'm high on weed, I can go deep. <laughs> but really, I was just burning up my brain cells. What I was doing, friends, was what many of us do. You see, whenever there's an inconsistency between our lives and the Bible, what most people do is they change the Bible, they twist the Bible in order to justify the life that they want to live. But friends, the Bible doesn't need changing. We need changing. Amen? So if there's an inconsistency between your life and God's Word, we must let the Lord change our lives and bring it into harmony with His Word. I was twisting the Scriptures to do what I wanted to do. And I hid my addictions from my family. Yes, there was conviction. But I buried that guilt in more and more pleasures, surrounding myself with friends, Drowning out the voice of God with worldly music. Trying to be popular and trying to be cool in school. But still, it was a valley of dry bones. I want you to notice what the bones also represents. Matthew 23, verse 27. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of what? Dead men's bones. And all uncleanness. You see, the dry bones, according to the Bible, not only represent brokenness of spirit, it also represents hypocrisy. Looking good on the outside, but spiritually dead on the inside. I told you about Taj Mahal. Here's a picture of me when I actually went there. Taj Mahal is simply a whited sepulcher full of dead man's bones. It is so beautiful on the outside, but on the inside it's empty and filled with death. Don't be like that, my brothers and my sisters. Because today, you look good on the outside. You have your nice Sabbath clothes on and you're in church. You are physically in the right place. But where is your heart? Does Jesus have your heart? Don't be like a whited sepulcher full of dead man's bones. I told you that my mom named me after Taj Mahal. I'm not Indian. I'm Filipino. Mexican and German, born and raised in Hawaii, but with an Indian name. 
I try to be all things to all men, like the Apostle Paul said. And because I got married to a Polynesian and a Melanesian, that makes me Polynesian and Melanesian too. Amen? Because when you get married, you become one flesh. And so I'm happy to be a Melanesian today. Amen? But my name, Taj, I was always embarrassed by that name. It's a very unusual name. Growing up, I thought to myself, why couldn't she just name me like John or something? Something real common and simple. Why Taj? I was always embarrassed. Not only that, but my last name is Pakleb. And so I don't think my mom thought through it far enough to realize that the name she gave me, I have the initials TP. You know what TP is, right? Toilet paper. <laughs> So growing up, I was always embarrassed by my name until I became a Christian and I understood what my name meant. And here's what it means. The word Taj means crown, like the crown of life. Amen. My middle name is Segura. It's the Hispanic name. And it means sure or assurance. What does it mean? Sure, or assurance. And then my last name, Pakleb, that's my Filipino name. It means to lie down on your stomach. It's kind of weird. But when you put that name together, Taj Segura Pakleb, there's a gospel message in my name which told me at least that while I did not know God's name, he knew me and had a plan for my life. Why? Taj Segura Pakleb, crown, assurance, lay on your stomach. Here's the meaning. If I receive the blessed Segura, the assurance that Jesus offers, then one day I'm going to Pakleb, I'm going to lay down at the feet of Jesus as he places the golden Taj, the crown upon my brow. Amen. Friends, even though we don't know God, may not know God, God knows us. Amen. And there's a meaning in our name. But I didn't know at that point. I was lost in the church. And this is what I looked like. That was about 17 years ago now. I was 16 years old, a druggie, burning up my brain cells, thinking that I could have salvation and the pleasures of sin at the same time. And this is how deceived I was, friends. If you look into those eyes, there's no life in those eyes. There's nothing but emptiness and death. That was me while I was going to church. I remember one morning reading my Bible. Because, you know, they said that it's good to read the Bible at the beginning of the day. And I had the Word of God in one hand, reading the Bible. And in the other hand, I had the glass pipe. I was smoking weed, getting high, and reading the Bible at the same time thinking that I could have both, thinking that by smoking weed I can understand and go deep. But I found that I was reading page after page after page, and I wasn't retaining or understanding anything I was reading. And in that moment, it was as if God spoke to me and he said, Taj, who are you fooling? What makes you think you could have me and sin at the same time? It's either one or the other. It's either the weed of death or the word of life. Because Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. 
Friends, if you are almost saved, you're still completely lost. God is not going to accept a divided heart. Lukewarm experience will be spewed out of the mouth of God, the Bible says. But that was me. I was lukewarm. Yes, there was a body, a form of godliness, but there was no breath in me. There was no life. The bones came together. The flesh covered the bones, but no life. And perhaps you could relate with that today. But inside my heart, I was longing for something more, something better. And God was chasing after me. Friends, I'm so grateful that the Lord doesn't give up on us. Amen? That even though I went to church high sometimes, sinning in his presence, he was long-suffering. And he still was chasing me. But let me tell you what happened. I came home very late or early in the morning after a night of party. I went into my bedroom, and there was no music drowning out my, the voice of God. No friends around me distracting me. I went into that dark room, and the darkness and the silence of the room was a description of the emptiness I felt that night. And I realized that, that, that while I was having fun in the world and believing in God at the same time, I realized that I was lost in the church. And on my nightstand, there was a book called Steps to Christ. Have you ever heard of that book? You need to read that book over and over and over again. That book was right there on my nightstand, and I picked up that book that night, Steps to Christ. I didn't read it. I just read the title, Steps to Christ. And on the cover of that book was this picture of Jesus with his arms open in invitation. And the illustration of this picture spoke to me. It was as if God was saying to me, even though you are taking steps to church, you are not taking steps to Christ. You are running away from me, but I'm here. Won't you come? Won't you come, my son? I have a better life for you. I looked at that picture and I realized how far away from God I was. In it, how God still loved me and was still pursuing after me. I was addicted. I was trapped. And I didn't know how to get out of my addictions. I knew about him, but I did not know him. I knew the commandments, but I did not know the commander. I knew the word of God, but I did not know the God of the word. And during this time, my mom was praying for me. She found the drugs in my room one day, and she was so upset, it broke her heart. She would go to the church members, and she would say, pray for my son. I, I found the drugs. He's smoking weed. I don't know what to do. Pray for him. And let me tell you, I'm standing before you here today because my mom prayed for me. Parents, don't stop praying for your children. Don't give up on them. The Lord can reach them. He can turn them around. And one day, some of your children are going to stand up and testify of the power of Christ. Keep loving. Keep praying. Keep witnessing. And don't give up on people. Amen. And in this lost condition, the Lord found me. What happened next? A few weeks later, there were two young people that came. And they knocked on my door. And that day that they knocked on the doors like Jesus was knocking at the door of my life. They invited me to another revelation seminar, a Bible prophecy seminar. And, and, and that invitation they gave me that day was like an invitation to heaven. Notice, here's what happened next, friends. Let's read verse 9. Here's what happened next. Verse 9. It says, Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind. Prophesy unto the what? The wind. 
prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon the slain, that they may, what? Live. So Ezekiel preached the word, and the bones came together. There was a form of life, but the life did not come until the wind entered in. What does the wind represent in the Bible? It represents the Holy Spirit. When I went to those meetings, I was 16 years old. I went to those meetings night after night, and that during those meetings, there was a theme song that was sung every night, the song entitled, Change My Heart, O God. Make it ever new. And that's what I realized I was missing. I understood in my mind, but my heart was not changed. And I remember that song really spoke to me, and then the word that was open was so powerful. God was breathing into my dead soul, his life-giving spirit. And as a result, to make a long story short, I continued to go to those meetings every single night. And one day after one of those meetings, the spirit's conviction was so strong, I made a decision, I'm not going to smoke weed anymore. I'm done. I made that decision in my heart. I'm going to stop. And you know what happened next? The next morning, here comes the friends inviting me to go to the beach with them on the other side of the island. I hopped in, and on the way there, they started to roll up a joint. They rolled up the windows, and they had a smoking session in the car, and I was right in the midst of all the smoke, and they, they passed the joint along, and then when they passed it to me, I, I had it in my hand. I looked at it, and I passed it along. I said, no, thank you. I'm done. And let me tell you, friends, that victory was so sweet. It was a lot sweeter than getting high that day. Amen? And my friends looked at me, and they thought I was crazy, but they were happy. You know, more for them. Same thing when we went to the beach. They passed it to me, not one desire. I passed it along. And the Lord gave me victory all day long. Can you say amen? But that night, we got back late. We were supposed to go to the meeting. But we got back late. The devil made it... So that we got back late and I missed the meeting. Friends, don't miss the meeting. Because during that time of idleness, other friends came over to my house. They picked me up. And we drove to the parking lot at the beach, and I was in the back seat by myself, and they, they passed the joint back. And in that, in that moment of, of weakness, I took a hit. And as I exhaled the smoke... When the smoke went out, it was as if the Spirit of God left at the same time, and it felt so empty. I had victory during the day, but I was defeated at night. And I looked at that joint in my hand, and I said, why did I do that? This does not give me happiness. This only robs me of joy. Why did I do that? But you see, friends, I, I couldn't help it. I was a slave to these things. No matter how hard I tried in my own strength, I did not have the power. But nonetheless, I continued to go to the meetings. Friends, it, it doesn't matter so much how you come to the meeting. What matters is that you come to the meetings. Amen? And finally, one night after one of those meetings, the conviction was so strong. God was calling me, Taj, give me your heart. Give me your whole heart. And the, the devil was whispering in my ear, saying to me, if you give your life to Jesus, what are your friends going to think? They're going to think you're weak. If you give your life to Jesus, you can't do this and you can't do that. Your life is going to be so boring. And the devil was giving me every reason not to come, not to surrender. But God was saying to me, Taj, I love you, my son. I have something better for you. 
I have joy and happiness forevermore. Just come to me as you are, and I will make the difference in your life. And finally, by the grace of God, I responded, and I found myself at the altar on my knees, weeping, crying out to God. And I prayed sincerely for the first time. I said, Lord, if you're there, if you're real, and if you truly have a better life for me, then I want to accept you right now. But Lord, I realize that I can't have you and drugs at the same time. So I need you to do for me what I cannot do for myself. I need you to set me free from these addictions, that you remove it from my life. Take away the desire for it so that I no longer want it. And friends, when I prayed that prayer sincerely with all my heart and I loosened my grip from those drugs, the Lord took it from me instantly. He set me free. He made me free. And by the grace of God, 17 years later, I've never looked back. The Lord made me free. He can do the same for you today. Amen. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I accepted Christ and his spirit in my life, and God began to restore all those burnt brain cells. Satan's grip upon me was broken, and shortly after those meetings, I was baptized the second time. Here's the picture. Baptized the second time in the Pacific Ocean, and now you can say amen. Because that second baptism wasn't like the first. That second baptism was the real deal. The Lord, I had surrendered my whole heart to him. And the song that kept going through my mind was the song, I surrender all. And truly, the Lord brought me to a full surrender. And let me tell you, friends, that's when life began for me. Let me tell you what happened next. Here's what happened next after I was baptized. Here's what happens. Verse 10, let's read it. Verse 10, so I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. After the wind came into the bodies, then they lived. They stood firm on their feet, and God saw a mighty army for his glory. And after I was baptized, that's exactly what I did. I enlisted as a soldier in the army of the Lord. I sensed that God was calling me to do ministry for him. And so I began to preach at 16 years old. That was my first sermon shortly after I was baptized. The pastor gave me the privilege of preaching during the divine service. And you should have heard that first sermon that I preached. It was absolutely terrible. <laughs> it was terrible. I didn't know much. And I was trying to share what I knew, but my words weren't coming out right. And I was stuttering and, and not being very clear, but I was excited. And, and by the way, I had a disadvantage too, because growing up in Hawaii, English is my second language. English is still my second language. My first language is pidgin, the Hawaiian version of pidgin. You know, we have our own pidgin in Hawaii. It's basically broken English. What we do is we take a sentence and we say it, we take a paragraph and we, sum, we, we simplify it, we say it in one sentence. We take a sentence and we say it in two words. We take two words and we then say it with our eyebrows. You guys do that here? And so my English was terrible. I couldn't really communicate. Not only that, but naturally I'm an introvert. I grew up as the only child most of my life. And so I'm very shy and timid. It is not a natural thing for me to stand up and preach in front of you. This is a supernatural thing, friends, because I'm a very shy person. You ask my wife, I'd rather be behind the camera than in front of the camera. And that first sermon was terrible. 
But nonetheless, I was excited, and that excitement came out. I was enthusiastic, and people saw that I believed what I was talking about. They may not understood everything I was saying, but they saw that I believed in what I was saying. In I had an experience with the Lord. I did not know much, but I knew Jesus, and that's enough. Amen. And I went back to my public high school, and I started passing out steps to Christ in this public high school. I would go back to my friends who I used to smoke weed with, and, and they would try to tempt me, and I would tell them, no, I, I, no thanks, I found a better high. I found the most high. And I was not ashamed of the gospel. I was letting my light shine. I remember one day during, the, during a free period, the whole football team was in the class, and, and these intimidating brothers, these strong men, that, these party animals, they were all in this class, and, and another came in, and I started sharing with them, and I started speaking louder and louder and louder, and by the time the, the class was finished, I had the whole football team surrounding me in the corner, and the Lord was just speaking, preaching to their hearts, and all of them were listening, and you can see the conviction on their face. And when the bell rang, one of the most rascal guys said, Taj, would you please pray for all of us right now that we could have that experience? And I got the chance to pray with them. I held Bible studies every lunch period in this public high school. I would invite the whole school to come, and, and, and many young people came to these Bible studies, and I wasn't trained to give Bible studies. I simply shared what I knew. And people were blessed. So much so that as a result of those Bible studies that I held while I was still in high school, six of my friends and their family members also were baptized and accepted Jesus. Amen? You see, friends, it doesn't matter how limited we are in our abilities. God is not dependent on your wisdom, your resources, your degree, your education, nor is he limited by your lack of those things. The Lord is simply dependent on a willing heart to be used by him. Amen? My experience can be described in Jeremiah 20 verse 9, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. Psalms 39 verse 3, my heart was hot within me while I was musing the fire burn. Then I spake with my tongue. I was on fire then and by the grace of God I'm still on fire now because the fire never has to grow dim or be quenched out. Can you say amen? <clears throat> Joel chapter 2, verse 26. And ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God that has dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be ashamed. Young people, don't be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Let me tell you what happened next. From public high school, I then transferred to the Christian Academy for my last year, my senior year in high school. I went to the Christian Academy, uh, the, 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 the Hawaiian Mission Academy, the Adventist school there in Hawaii. And when I was there, I met a lot of nice friends. And, but, the, but the problem was is that the academic level in that private school was twice as high as the public school. And when I was going to public school in the world, I had straight Fs. And that doesn't stand for fantastic either. I was failing every single class. But when I went to the, the Christian Academy, my grades increased and, and I was getting A's. Because God can restore our minds, amen? From F's to A's. And when I was there, I met this really, here's a picture. When I was there, here's, here's a picture that we took. I met this really nice girl. You see her there to the left? Really nice girl. 
She was a Christian young lady, not like the, the others that I messed around with. She was one that loved the Lord and believed in the Bible and prayed and, and, and wanted to do the right thing. And, and I was attracted to the Jesus shining in her, and I got to know her. And then after high school, she went to a Bible college in the state of Arizona, which is nothing but desert. From the beautiful islands of Hawaii to the desert, she went to this two-year Bible college. And you know, because she went, I had to go too. Amen? <laughs> and there we are. Here's the picture of us in that two-year Bible college. And the Lord was teaching us how to be more effective witnesses for Him. Well, to make a long story short, after our wilderness in the desert, those two years, we then got married. I married my high school sweetheart. We've been married over 11 years now, and we are a team in ministry. Amen. I would have never found her unless I found Jesus first, and she truly is a gift from my Lord. Amen. Young people, if you want to find true love, find it in Christ first. You will never find it in an earthly relationship. You must find your complete satisfaction in Jesus first. Ladies, your life must be so hid in Christ that in order for that brother to find you, that brother must find Jesus first. With Jesus in the family, happy, happy home. When you let God write your love story, it's always going to be a happy ending. Oh, young people, don't go to the world like Samson did to find love. It's a foolish thing to trade eternity for a moment of sinful pleasure. Let Jesus write your love story. Amen. After we got married, we were hired by Central California Conference as the conference evangelist. Here are some pictures of us in ministry on the screen. The Lord has blessed us to do over 60 evangelistic seminars all over the world, sharing the good news of Christ in all kinds of places. We're working for the conference for the last 11 years, but just last September, with the blessing of our local conference, we resigned from that position, and we started our ministry, the Revelation of Hope Ministries, an international ministry that takes the gospel to wherever we're invited. We wanted to take the message beyond the territories of one geographical location, and so we're based now in Hawaii, but from there, we're just going to go wherever we're invited. To share the good news of Jesus. We've been, we've been to Africa multiple times, Asia multiple times, the Pacific Islands, and Europe. And friends, as I think about all the places that the Lord has blessed us to be able to go and minister and all the lives that we've allowed to see being changed, over 1,200 people baptized throughout our meetings in the last several years, I just am amazed at the power of the Lord Jesus. Let me tell you, friends, there's nothing special with me. I'm just a beggar trying to share some bread. Nothing special with me. But there's a lot that's special with Jesus. We were able to preach in big stadiums, also little villages there in Masailand, seeing people come to know Christ. And here's a beautiful couple. They came to our meetings. They were not married, but then they got married and they were baptized together. And the joy on their face is something that money can't buy. You know I had to get in on that too, amen? There is joy in serving Jesus. Life with God is an adventure of faith. I don't need to be smoking weed, friends. I, I got the most high in my life, and it's an exciting adventure. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. 
Last year, I was invited to speak at the, at the general conference session in San Antonio in front of the world church. Who am I? Who would have thought that God would take a young local boy from a little island in the Pacific who messed up his brain on drugs, not ordained and not formally educated, and allow me to, to preach to our world church? But that's what God can do, friends, when you put your life in his hands and you're willing. He can use you to make a difference in the world. And that's the prophecy of Acts chapter 2, verse 17. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says the Lord, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. In these last days, friends, God is raising up an army of youth to stand up and to be a soldier in the army of the Lord, to fight the battles of God, to declare war on the kingdom of darkness, and to commit themselves to building up the kingdom of light. And I'm wondering, young people, are you a part of that army? Will you stand up and be counted among the faithful? Stop sitting in the pews and let's go out there and share the mission of Christ. God is calling us to be like the end time Davids, who when the elder people were fearful and afraid to fight the Goliath, the giant, it took a young person to stand up with holy boldness and say, though no one goes, I will fight. Where are the Davids in the last days? God is calling us to be like the three Hebrew boys. While all the world was bowing down to the music, they were getting down at the music and distracted and worshiping the image. God used three young men to stand up with spiritual backbone. And though they knew they would be thrown in the fire, they didn't count the, 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 the consequences. They said, we're going to stand Though the heavens fall, throw us in the fire if you wish. Our God will deliver us, but even if he doesn't deliver us, we're not going to bow down. Where are the three Hebrew boys of the last days? Where are you? God is calling us to be like Esther, this young lady who cared more about the glory of God than her own comforts. And she interceded on behalf of the people of God. Where are the young ladies, the young spiritual Esthers of the last day? God wants to use you. He wants to use me. Bible tells us that Elijah is going to come in the last days. A generation of Elijahs who will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers. And so before we close, allow me to share with you just a, a few more stories of what God did in my family. Remember, I grew up in a broken home, dysfunctional family. My mom and dad were separated most of my life. But when, my, when the Lord got a hold of my mom, my mom had an experience with the Lord, and, and God softened her heart so much so that after 16 years of living in dysfunction, I was 16 years old, when, after 16 years of brokenness and dysfunction, my mom and my dad actually got back together, and they actually got married for the first time. And then three years after they got married, and after 19 years of being the only child, baby brother comes upon the scene. Here's the picture. You see him? Same mom, same dad, 19 years apart. It was an overwhelming surprise. And now my little brother goes to church with my mom. He has something that I didn't have growing up. And now my mom, there she is in the middle, from causing her pain, now I'm able to make her proud as the son of her youth and the son of her older age goes to church together. Friends, our God is in the business of restoring families. Amen? Well, let me tell you about my grandparents. Here's my grandparents, my mom's parents. Don't they look happy? But it wasn't always a pretty picture. 
My grandparents were separated for a long time. And there was bitterness and animosity in their relationship. Grandpa had done something that broke grandma's heart. And that hurt turned to bitterness, anger, and resentment. And grandma's heart became hard. And so for many years, they were separated. It wasn't, there was no peace in that relationship. And it was in 2007 that I first began to do meetings. One of my first meetings was in San Francisco, California. San Francisco is known for a lot of things, but not spiritual interests. And during that time, my grandma was in Hawaii, and my grandpa was staying in San Francisco with, with one of my aunties. They were separated, a broken relationship. But because it was close by, grandpa decided to come to the meetings. Not because he was interested in the Bible. He just wanted to hear his grandson stand up and talk in front of people. So he came the first night, and I was happy. I didn't think he would come back, but he came the second night, then he came the third, then the fourth, then the fifth, and he started coming every single night. He even came on a night when we didn't have a meeting. <laughs> he showed up by himself, not realizing that that was the night off, and he became addicted to the meetings, and he was excited, taking notes, and I was so happy. Well, finally, it came to the night when we talked about the God of new beginnings, the God of restoration. And I made a call for people to come to the altar who wanted to be baptized and give their whole hearts to Jesus. And friends, it was one of the greatest joys of my life. If you look at the picture on the screen, one of the greatest joys of my life to see my own grandpa stand up and walk down the aisle giving his life to Jesus. There he is. That's the moment, friends. He came to Christ. And that grandfather, pictures on the screen, that held me when I was a little baby boy. And was there for me when I graduated from high school. That grandfather, the patriarch of the family, I was able to hold him in the waters of baptism as he had a new beginning with Jesus. I like to say, friends, that he held me when I was born, but I held him when he was born again. <laughs> Who would have thought that God would use the third generation to reach the first generation. But that's what Jesus can do, friends. He wants to use you to reach your parents and your grandparents. He can do it if you put your life in his hands. And so grandpa's life has changed, and now he wants to do everything he can to reconcile with grandma. But two years go by, and grandma's heart is so hard. She would not believe that grandpa was changed. No matter how much grandpa prayed and pleaded, Grandma continued to rub his past in his face, and her heart was so hard. Two years go by, and it seems like prayers are not answered, but then finally in 2009, God brought me back home to Hawaii to do my first evangelistic meeting in the same church that I was converted in 10 years before. In 1999, I was converted, 16 years old. 10 years later, 2009, I was the evangelist. God brought me full circle. In 10 years. I remember when I was 16, going to the meetings, it was as if God was saying, Taj, one day you're going to stand where that man is standing. One day you're going to be doing what he's doing. 10 years later, that's where I stood. And during this time, both grandma and grandpa were in Hawaii. And so because it was close by, grandpa brought grandma to the meetings. Not because she was interested, but because she was forced. Grandpa said, you need to go. Your grandson is speaking. You, you, you have to support him. And so she felt guilt-tripped into coming. And she sat way in the back, the farthest away she could be is where she sat. 
And I was so happy. I would preach my heart out every night. And at the door, I would hug my grandma. Grandma, thank you so much for coming. I'm so glad you're here. But every night, her face was stone cold, emotionless, no conviction. I'd go home and pray for her, come back and preach. She would be there in the back. I'd hug her, no conviction. Her heart was like a rock. It seemed like nothing was happening. But finally, we came to the night when we talked about the God of new beginnings. We made a call, and over 50 people came to the front. It was a beautiful experience. And, and I remember, here's the picture of the, of the moment where the people were coming to the altar. I was rejoicing my heart, individuals coming to Christ. I was so happy until I saw my grandma way in the back, just sitting there. She wasn't moving. And in my heart, I had a, I had a burden. I was saying, Lord, I'm thankful for these but what about my own flesh and blood? What about my grandma? Please, Lord, she needs you. Please break through the hardened rock of her heart. And I, I continue to call and preach. And while I'm preaching, I'm praying, Lord, I'm happy for these. But my grandma, please give her the courage to stand. But she wouldn't move, friend. She sat there. And so I went on and on and on and on like I'm doing now. And finally, after about 10 minutes, I saw grandma. Way in the back, stand. And by herself, she walked down the aisle, giving her life to Jesus. Just like a bride coming to meet her husband, my grandma came to meet Jesus. Shortly after that, I had the privilege of baptizing her as well. And she had a new beginning in Christ. Amen. And because of what Jesus was doing in their hearts, Around this time period was my grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary. And because of what Jesus was doing, guess what my grandparents wanted to do for their 50th wedding anniversary? They wanted to renew their vows. And who do you suppose they asked to help with that? Here's the picture. Who do you suppose they asked to help with that? I had the privilege of renewing the vows of my own grandparents in front of my whole family. Why? Because, friends, we serve a God that is in the business of restoring that which is sin has broken, of mending that which sin has torn, cleansing that which sin has defiled. Yes, our greatest problem is sin, but our wonderful solution is Jesus, the God of restoration. Now, there is peace in that relationship. Can you say amen? Friends, there's a lot more I can say, but we're finished. I've said enough for you to know without a shadow of a doubt that God loves you. And despite who you are, where you've been, and what you've done, if God can use someone like me and change someone like me, surely he can change your heart. Surely he can change someone like you. No matter how dirty you are with sin, the blood can cleanse us. No matter how enslaved you are to your habits, the power of God can free us. His sacrifice makes it possible for us to serve him with all our hearts. Today, as we close, I want to make a very, very simple appeal. You've heard the message today. And maybe you can identify with some part of my experience. Maybe you're a dry bone and there's no spiritual life. Or maybe the bones are together but you don't have any breath. Outwardly, you look spiritually alive, but inwardly, you're spiritually dead. Baptized once, but not truly born again. 
And today the Lord is calling you to life, to, new, to a new beginning. And that new beginning begins with baptism and rebaptism for those who have fallen away. Many of you came last night. I would just like to add my voice to the prayer that has already been prayed. And if you have made that decision and you want to make that decision for baptism or rebaptism in the near future, I want to invite you to come right here. And I want to pray for you. Your family is in disarray. Your marriage is being attacked. You have all kinds of problems, but you're not allowing those problems to hold you back from moving forward with Jesus. God bless you, my brother, the first one who is not ashamed. God bless you, my brother. I know there are others. Would you come, please, quickly? For prayer and say, Lord, I'm a dry bone. I have a body, but I have no breath. I want to live, Lord. So please breathe on me, dear God. Accept the breath of God and, and seal that inward commitment with the outward expression of a baptism or a rebaptism and get serious for the Lord. You're enlisting as a soldier in the army of God. But first, you must be born again. Come and bow down before the Lord. Lay your burdens, your life, your heart at his feet. Tell him who you are and what you've done and, and allow him to make you new today. God bless you, folks. These who are coming are passing from death into life. These who have, who have come have brought joy to the heart of their king. Heaven is rejoicing. Prayers are being answered. Lives are being changed and restored. God bless you, my brothers and my sisters. I don't know who you are, but God knows he knows. He takes us just as we are. But he won't leave us in that condition. Let him do for you what you cannot do for yourself. God bless you. And let us pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for speaking to our hearts today. Thank you for your kind and gentle invitation to come to Jesus. And Lord, we come. We are broken people. We have issues. We are messed up. We are full of sin and selfishness and pride. But we thank you, dear God, that your word says, where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound. And we thank you that your grace is not a cheap, sloppy grace. It's a grace that pardons and empowers. And so, Lord, we receive it today. We've heard the word of the Lord and now, dear God, breathe upon us your life-giving breath. Make us alive. And I want to pray, Lord, especially for those who have come who have responded to your love today, who are wanting a new beginning in baptism or rebaptism. Lord, you know each heart. Wherever there is pride, give humility. Where there's doubt, give your people faith. Where there's weakness, give them power and strength. Where there's fear, give them the calm assurance that you're there. Where there's anxiety, give them peace. Where there's guilt, give them the blessed assurance that all is well. Where there's slavery, give them freedom. Where there's habits, give them victory. I pray that you'll write their name in the book of life now. And that nothing will blot it out. May this truly be the beginning of eternity for them. Help them to let go of everything and grab hold to your strength. And may they never look back. And Lord, when they fall, pick them up and help them never to give up. Seal these decisions in the books of heaven. 
Bless the families represented here. We pray that you restore those marriages and those broken relationships. Please be with each one, not only here at this altar, but in this whole auditorium. Use us, Lord, as a mighty army to change the landscape of Papua New Guinea, that we might go and show how great you are to the world. This is our prayer. Thank you for hearing us, for loving us, for forgiving us. We claim it by faith, and we know that it is ours in Christ. For we ask this in Jesus' blessed name. Let the army of the Lord say, Amen. 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 This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.